Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. God is here and love is reaching. He's seeking after that one lost sheep. We sing that together, believing it. We see that and rejoice in that together in Josh's testimony. We hear that in the lyrics that the children were singing to us. More than that, we see it in the presence of those kids here where the gospel will be taught to them and the scriptures will be open to them. As we open God's word now, a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we bow before you to worship you. We want to seek first you and your kingdom, and that is only possible because you sought us first before we ever sought you. This is what we sing about, and this is what we celebrate, that you left the throne of glory for a humble manger and then for a cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name for what you have done in saving us, and We thank you for these children who sang to us of this blessed and glorious salvation. We thank you for their presence here in this church. Thank you, Lord, that the church is a family, that each of those kids has uh, dozens of brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents here. Thank you for the workers who week in and week out, though, though those aren't their biological kids, they are their children and because we're in the same family through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessing of belonging to the family of God. And now as we open your word, Spirit of God, you wrote this word. Only you can open the eyes of our heart and write it within us so our hearts would no longer be stone, but so they would be flesh and you would do your work of salvation and repentance within us. Amen. I was 11 years old in the very early 80s, in fifth grade, and my dad took me to a movie. My mom wasn't sure that I could handle it, but I so, so, so bad wanted to see it. And my dad took me to see the original Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, I loved it. After I saw it, I mowed lawns to save up a ridiculous amount of money to buy the cartridge that fit into my Atari 2600 so I could play Indiana Jones in that 8-bit technology that was so expensive back in the day. You couldn't save your game. I had to go past the snakes and through the temple and all this stuff, and if you died, you had to start all over. It was awesome. (laughs) I mention that because really the sermon title today is one word. It's the word believe. And I just heard it come out of Harrison Ford's mouth two days ago. Maybe you've seen it. There's a trailer for the new Indiana Jones movie that's going to come out, I think, in the summer of next year. Why it is that Hollywood has to promote action adventure films with 80-year-old stars, only Hollywood could tell us. (laughs) 
It's because there's money in the reboot, but I digress. The, uh, <clears throat> but in the trailer, Indiana Jones, uh, he says this. I don't know about magic, but through the years I have seen things. And I've come to believe that it's not so much what you believe, but how hard you believe it. There Indy, the original Han Solo, Harrison Ford himself, he uses our word believe three times. I've come to believe that it's not so much what you believe, but how hard you believe it. I don't want to overanalyze uh, Hollywood screenwriting, which is garbage. It's just filled with, with cliches and tropes. It's one of the reasons that I'm not a movie guy. I'm a literature guy, but again, I digress. The point is, does any, does any sane person actually believe that if you believe something that is false and harmful and dangerous and damaging, if you believe in that something really, really, really hard, that that's better? I actually don't think any sane person really believes that. And as I show you from the scripture this morning what it means to believe, I suppose I could put it in a nutshell by saying my thesis is the exact opposite of Indiana Jones' thesis. My thesis is that the strength of your belief is of little importance. The strength of the object of your faith is all important. So instead of finding the word believe in useless movie trailers, let's find it in God's word. And this will be a sermon, not a verse by verse out of a chapter like we normally go. Currently, we're going through Isaiah. I'll just give you several verses that talk about believe. You know one of them is John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. In that precious verse, believe is the verb that belongs to you. And it says, she has to believe in Jesus and she'll have eternal life. He has to believe in Jesus so that he can have eternal life. Another verse that uses the concept of faith and the concept of belief is in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through six. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he is still speaking. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that believing is an absolute must. If you want to end on the right side of God, if you want to end up pleasing God, Hebrews 11.6 says you must believe not only that God is, but that God rewards those who diligently seek him. To look at belief from the, from the other side, that is at unbelief as the reason for the wrath and judgment of God, and this can't be left out even in the happy message of Christmas, Jesus came to save us from the judgment and wrath of God. It says in Psalm 78, it's, a, it's an important verse that explains why God judges people. And it says this in Psalm 78, verses 21 and 22. It's summarizing the whole story of the Old Testament. And Psalm 78, verse 21 says, therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath, a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and they did not trust in his saving power. There it is. The reason why God was angry with Israel and the reason that God judged Israel in the wilderness was because they refused to believe in God and to trust in his power. There's another verse about belief, or rather unbelief, being the reason for judgment. This one comes from the New Testament. I'm reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is about how though the church is beleaguered and persecuted today, a day is coming when Jesus will return and he will judge those who have persecuted the church and he'll save the church. And 2 Thessalonians 1 locates the reason for the judgment of even of hell is unbelief. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might. <clears throat> when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed because our testimony of the gospel to you was believed. There's our word believe twice in that uh, culminating verse, verse 10. And it's the entire difference between receiving vengeance and wrath and eternal destruction or receiving salvation. The difference is belief or unbelief. There's a pretty famous use of the word believe by a, a sort of a weak person who, back to our thesis, he he didn't believe really hard. He had a weak belief. It was a dad. This is Mark chapter 9. A dad of a son who was about the age of the, the kids up here on the first row. And his son was afflicted by a demon, it says. And that demon would possess his son. And when there was a fire pit, that demon would try to throw his son into the fire pit. 
And it says in Mark chapter nine that the father saw Jesus coming and the father ran up to Jesus and he says, can you help me? This is what's happening to my son. If you're able, can you help me? And Jesus replied unto him, if you are able, oh, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the child's father cried out and said to Jesus, I believe help my unbelief. What a thing to say. What a human thing to say. I believe. Uh, I think. I believe. <laughs> Kinda. I believe. But I don't have utter confidence in my own ability to believe. I believe. Jesus, would you help my unbelief? Here's a clue. Here's a clue to what the Bible teaches about belief. If you, and this is not an if like this isn't the reality, this is reality. If you are not sure about your own belief, the Bible says that the answer is not for you to get more inside of yourself. The Bible says that if you're not sure about your belief, the answer is to look to Jesus. That's what the Bible insists on. I love that that verse doesn't say, well, I believe, but I'm not sure about my belief, so could you just lock me in a room and give me 12 books to read and 13 online surveys to take so I can work on myself? That verse says, I kind of believe, but Jesus, if I'm gonna be helped, I'm gonna be helped by you. Would you help my unbelief? My thesis this morning is that it's, the issue is not the strength of your faith. The issue is the strength of the one in whom you have placed your faith. My thesis this morning in terms of Jesus is this, catch this. Uh, Jesus Christ is the object of faith. He is the one in whom we believe, that is correct. He's the one in whom we place our faith. But my thesis is in regard to Jesus, not only is he the object of our faith, he is the one who enables and helps our faith. If you need help with your faith, ask Jesus. The object of your faith is the very one who will draw that faith out of you. He is great and merciful and gracious to save those who believe. And here's the point. Jesus is great enough and merciful enough to help those who do not believe so that they can believe in him. This is how good Jesus is when we call on him. So belief is not you relying on some great inner quality within you. It's not the way to think of faith. If we shouldn't think of faith as, as some strong quality within us that we operate, how should we think of faith? Don't you think that faith is just exactly what that guy did in Mark chapter 9? Faith is calling out to Jesus in weakness. Faith is saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I trust you to be at the end of my rope. Jesus, I will trust in you for there is no other. One more place that uses our precious word, believe. This is another kind of famous Bible story. There's these two guys named Paul and Silas and they're preaching the gospel. Like 
exactly what I'm doing right now. They're preaching the gospel, which is exactly what I'm trying to do right now. And because they preached the gospel, they were immediately chucked into prison. Hopefully that won't happen to me this morning. If it does, okay. But they were chucked into prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, I suppose God was like, well, I don't want these guys to be in prison very long. So Acts chapter 16 says that God sent an earthquake that broke all the chains and all the prison walls so that they could be free from the prison. And then it says that when that happened, well, I'll read how Luke writes it in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. 1625 of Acts. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking. And immediately all the doors were opened, <coughs> and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up, and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, and he was about to fall on it, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, <coughs> Do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There it is, Acts 16 verse 30. Hey, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16 and verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Notice that this story of salvation begins with an act of God. We heard that in Josh's testimony. God was at work in Josh's life. And then this story hinges on a question. What must I do to be saved? You know, there are lots of different kinds of questions. Grandma, grandma asks this time of year, what do you want for Christmas? An easy question to answer, or maybe not so easy given our Amazon culture where we could have everything. There are some questions that are easy to answer. There are some questions that have within themselves the seed of an answer. I would submit to you that this question in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, is an entirely different class of question. This is an entirely different kind of question. It's a question in which the one who is asking the question is placing himself on the line. It's not even so much a question as a desperate cry for help. What must I do to be saved? Well, what does it mean to be saved? To be saved means to be delivered from the judgment and wrath of God. To be saved means to be delivered from the consequences of sin, which is death. To be saved means to be set up on the right side of God so that when it comes your time to die, you have peace with God and confidence that you will go with him into paradise. That's what it means to be saved. And how do they answer the question? What must I do to be saved? They answer the question, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Notice that the answer to the question comes down to a name, to a person. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
As I preach the gospel to you here in this church, as a, as a professing believer who's been bought by the blood of Jesus, I have to insist on this. Even if you disagree and what I'm insisting on angers you, I still have to insist on this. Salvation is not a thing that's available in a lot of ways and we Christians just sort of paste a Christian name on it. That is not how salvation works. Salvation is only found in Jesus who is the Christ, the risen Lord. And it's only found in his name. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There, I took Greek a long time ago when I was in seminary and there's a little preposition that, that's translated in. It could be translated through or that and I'm glad that the ESV translates it, translates it in. <clears throat> An inferior translation would be believe that there is a Lord Jesus Christ. A good translation says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can believe that a lot of things, right? You can believe that Fredert is a better hospital than Ascension. You could believe that Home Alone is a better Christmas movie than Elf. I don't, I, someone said amen. <laughs> Find another church. Uh, <clears throat> I, don't, <laughs> I don't have an opinion about which hospital is better really and I, and I actually don't have an opinion about which Christmas movie is better. I think I already said I'm not really a movie guy. I'm more of a literature guy because movies just aren't well written generally. But um, you could believe that this, you could believe that that. Notice that he says here, uh, believe in. This is more than an opinion or a persuasion about some principles. This is more than a comparison and a choice. This is trusting in. This is trusting in. And, and I want to tell you the one in whom you are supposed to trust is Jesus. Remember I said my thesis when it comes to Jesus is not only is Jesus the object of faith, Jesus is the one who strengthens and compels faith. Let me illustrate this imperfectly in, uh, in my marriage. My wife's name's Amy, and if we're, having a, if, she, if we're having a struggle and she's not sure that she trusts me, I don't know how much good it will do for me to just stand up and with a clear, compelling voice say, Amy, you just have to trust me more. I'm not sure what good that would do, if any. I mean, there's, there's only so much that she can do volitionally, emotionally, persuasively, convictionally. There's only so much that she could do to make herself trust me more. I think a better way out of that situation, if she's having struggles trusting me, I think a better way out of that situation is what? For me, over the days, weeks, months, even years, to demonstrate that I'm trustworthy, that I keep my word, that I'm where I say I'm gonna be, that I keep my promises. 
It is Jesus. Will you hear me? It is Jesus who is standing up and with a clear voice saying to you, trust me. It's Jesus. And he is Jesus. He's, he's altogether lovely. He is the yes and amen to every promise of God. He is Jesus. You know, I listen to, I don't, I don't know if you ever thought about this, like what the preacher does. I, I don't get to listen to a sermon on Sunday. I have to say one. Kind of, I don't know, just part of my job. So, so like every Friday and Saturday, I listen to or read a sermon. And the sermon that I read uh, day before yesterday was by a Scottish preacher in the 1700s, and I, my heart just melted. His theme was the loveliness and desirability of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. The love of Jesus hath neither brim nor bottom. Oh, bring all your empty vessels and all your needs to Jesus and you will never exhaust the store of love in him. And he ends with this. I could, I, could, I could picture tears in his eyes as he opened his arms to his congregation, just like this congregation. And he says this, oh, what a pity that there is such a one as Jesus, so bottomless, so infinite in his love. Oh, what a pity that there are so few of you who will come unto him. He's Jesus. He's more than enough for every need here and 10,000 times 10,000 more needs than there are here. There's neither brim nor bottom to his love and his ability to forgive Oh, that you would come to him. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When it comes to believing in Jesus, we believe in his person, who he is, and we believe in his work, what he has done. And all that we celebrate, especially around the, the nativity and the incarnation, is that Jesus is fully God and fully man in our place. And what we celebrate in what he has done is that he was born in our place. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died in our place on the cross so that the, so that the debt that we owed, he was able to pay. The deserved wrath and death that was coming to us, he took on the cross. And then after that, he rose again, opening up the way for all of us to go to heaven and be with him. Jesus Christ was born as a child so that we could become children of God. Jesus Christ was born physically. That's what we sing about, what the children told us. Jesus Christ was born physically so that you and I would be born again spiritually. Faith is not, belief is not you trying really hard to get it right. Belief is you calling out of utter weakness, Jesus, what I need is you. And if you'll see him, and if you'll hear him, if you'll open his word and read it, 
If he's calling you, he will become irresistibly beautiful to you. And so you will believe by, but by his glory, and by his goodness. To believe is to look to Jesus. To believe is to look to Jesus and to say, Jesus, you are the Savior that I need. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we look to you and we worship you for you are not only the object of our faith, but you are the one who grants faith and you are the one who in answer to our humble plea strengthens our belief. And so Lord Jesus, I ask you now that all of those here who belong to you Oh, would they see how lovely you are? And would your love make them your strong witnesses? And I pray, Lord Jesus, for all those here who have not yet believed in you, by your mercy, by your goodness, would you bring a miracle of regeneration within the heart that they might be saved? Grant us faith in you, Lord Jesus, and be glorified in your church. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.